Praise the Lord this morning. Is Seth still here? Seth is here. Hey, Seth. I uh, just want to make sure with the axe throwing thing, that's not at one another, right? Okay, very good. Just wanted to make sure of that. I think that threw candy off a little bit, right? That axe throwing thing. Amen. That's a thing now, y'all, for, for people my age. That is a thing now, axe throwing. Amen. Amen. Well, it is Resurrection Sunday, and he is risen. Amen. Now, when I say he is risen, I should hear back something. Let me try it again. He is risen. He is risen. And one more time for the Holy Ghost. He is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. Yes, let's give the Lord one more clap. It's so good to celebrate the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. I love that song that they were singing just a little while ago. When he calls your name, you're going to rise up. (laughs) When he calls your name, if you know him, if you've given your life to him, all the devils in hell can't keep you down. Amen. When he calls your name, you're going to rise up with him. He is the indestructible one. And if you are in him, this is what we're going to talk about today. You're indestructible as well because you're in him. Amen. Amen. Let, let me start out this morning with, with this little story. In 1802, Humphrey David invented the first electric light. Y'all looking at me like, who are you talking about? That, it wasn't Humphrey David. It was, it was Thomas Edison. But actually before Thomas Edison, Humphrey David invented a light that was called the electric arc lamp. And when it was connected to a battery, this lamp would shine very brightly, but just for a very little while. And so over the next 75 years or so, uh, other inventors were working on the incandescent light, a light that would work and would light up cities and homes and all of those things. And most of you know that the one who finally got it right was a man named Thomas Edison and uh, all these others had been working on it, but the secret to Edison's light was his discovery of the carbonized bamboo filament that could last for 1200 hours and would provide enough light for you to see, but not so much that it would blind you. Very few people remember Humphrey David, but everyone knows. Thomas Edison, his light changed the world because of the discovery of that carbonized bamboo filament. And that filament for Edison was the hinge on which everything else depended. That one little filament. But brothers and sisters, in the history of the earth, there is one hinge One event, one happening that is the key to everything else in all of history. And that event is what we're celebrating here today. It's not the invention of a light. It's not some invention that made someone millions or billions of dollars. It's, it's not, it's not a technological advancement that puts us into a new virtual realm. No, 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 no. It's none of those things. What has changed history is that after three days in the grave, a man got up. 
What changes history is that Jesus Christ, after he was beaten, after he was bruised, after he was bloodied, after he was, he was dead on that old rugged cross, he got up out of the grave with all power in his hands. And that is the event like none other in history that's changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ separates time in two. The, rep- the, the, the resurrection of Christ determines destinies, eternal destinies. Brothers and sisters, today we celebrate the risen Christ who lives today as the indestructible Savior. He is the perfect the pure, the powerful, the plentiful, the protector of his people. And he reigns and he rules. And so today, we're going to stand together and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting at verse 12. So stand with me. It's interesting this week, as I was wrestling about what to preach on, I landed here in 1 Corinthians 15, but something in me was struggling with wanting to have someone in the service read from Matthew 28, the resurrection account of Jesus. And I struggled with that this week. And matter of fact, I thought of calling Crystal, uh, who you just heard read that scripture. I thought of calling her and asking her to read it, but I said, no, I'm just going to leave it alone. And then here it was. God is a good, good God. But today we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 22. It's right up on the board, so read it nice and loud along with me. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Just stand on your feet for another minute. Today, I'm going to speak on the subject, the indestructible life, your life in Christ. 
Today we're going to see that this indestructible life that we've been talking about is not just the life of Jesus, but it is the life of everyone who calls on his name. Indestructible life. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you today that your promises are sure and true. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And we know it because you got up on the third day with all power in your hands. Lord, I pray that in the coming moments you would move by your word and by your Holy Spirit, speak to your people and do the work that you want to do. To the praise and glory of your name, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Amen. It's so great to see everyone here on this Resurrection Sunday morning. We had a 8.30 crew as well, and it was great to see people then, and it's great to see a COVID-full church right now. Amen? Amen. Well, on this Resurrection Sunday, what I really want to do is ask one critical question. Here's the question. What is the big deal about the resurrection of Christ? Why is it such a big deal? Think about this a little bit. After all, the world has gone on for 2,000 years since the resurrection of Jesus. Some people have believed it. Other people haven't believed it. The question on the table for us today, for everyone here and everyone watching, is does it really make a difference? Let me put it another way. Why should anyone center their whole life around an event and around a person that happened 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world? Why should you center your whole life around believing in that? There's plenty of folks that seems like they haven't believed it. And it seems like they're doing just fine. Look, some people could say those who don't believe are many times doing better than those who do believe. Somebody ought to say amen right now. You know, it's true. Look, there are people right now who are believing in Jesus and who are being imprisoned for their belief. There are people who are dying for their belief. There are people who are sacrificing and sacrificing and giving, and it doesn't seem like they're getting back as much as they're giving out for Christ. So someone will ask the question, does it really make a difference? We've been talking about over the last week, the reality of Jesus' indestructible life. We saw it as he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, gentle and on a donkey. And yet the same one who rode into Jerusalem, gentle and on that donkey, is the one who got up off that donkey. And he turned over some tables in the temple and he disrupted everything about the religious status quo. Same man, indestructible Jesus. We saw his indestructible life even on Good Friday as he died on that cross. 
As he was dying on a cross, he cries out to those who had put the nails through his hands and feet, who had put the crown of thorns on his head, who had whipped his back and who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. He cries out to them, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Indestructible life. As he's dying on the cross, he remembers his mama. <laughs> Tells John, take care of mama. This is now your mother. You, this is now your son. He takes care of the minute details, the indestructible life. As he's dying on that cross, there is a man who is cursing him right in his ear, cursing him over and over again. But at a certain point, that man comes to his senses. Jesus says to that thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, indestructible life. Even with his last breath, Jesus says in a loud voice, your voice isn't supposed to be loud when you're being crucified. Your lungs fill up with fluid and, and that kills you that asphyxiates you that that kills you so your last word is not a loud word but Jesus in a loud voice the Bible says cried out father into your hands I commit my spirit indestructible life here's the reality they didn't take Jesus life away from him he gave his life for you and for me by crucifying Jesus, the Jews and the Romans did not destroy him. Instead, they became willing participants in the, the, the great act of history, the hinge of all things that ends up in the salvation of a people and a brand new creation. Glory to God. Today... We're looking at that indestructible life of Jesus as he rises from the dead. But here is what I want you to see as well as we look at the resurrection. Jesus is not the only indestructible one and he never intended to be. So let's look at this question today. Why is Christ's resurrection so important? I'm glad you asked that question. So here we go. I have three answers based on this text. Answer number one, why is Christ's resurrection so important? Number one, Christ's resurrection is your only reason for hope. Christ's resurrection is your only reason for hope. He says in verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Can you turn this down just a little bit? Thank you. The scripture is written to a group of people in ancient Greece, in a city called Corinth. And they're struggling with the idea of resurrection. It doesn't make sense to them. It's a foreign concept. And that makes sense because 
In Greek philosophy, the body itself was understood to be evil. So there wasn't a category for a bodily resurrection. Why would you want to resurrect something that is itself evil anyway? Wouldn't make sense to them. But here's the thing. Christianity never, ever teaches that the human body is evil. Even when the Bible talks about our flesh, it's not talking about our physical body. It's not talking about our skin and and our muscles and our sinews and tendons. It's not talking about the physical body, but about our human nature that's fallen and sinful. God created our bodies and everything that God created is good. When he was done, he said, It's very good. But because of the way the Greeks understood this, you would expect them to be skeptical about this Christian teaching on bodily resurrection. But Paul makes it very clear in these verses. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day. And because he was raised, everyone else will be as well. Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate game changer. Today, we live in a scientific world, this modern world that we're in. And a lot of people struggle with any concept that they can't prove scientifically. And so people can ask, how do we know there's life after death? How can you prove it? So people are skeptical about it in the first place. If they do believe in it, they say, well, how can you know what it's really like for different people? You haven't been there. I haven't been there. How can you know anyway? Some people will say, well, what about reincarnation? Maybe I'll come back as a wombat, whatever a wombat is. Maybe I'll come back in some other form. What about that? Why should I believe in Christianity with all the myriad of religions, of philosophies, of ways of thinking, of worldviews? Why should I be stuck on Christianity? The key to all of these things is this one event, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. Here's what I want you to see. The ultimate question that people must look at is not about the philosophies or teachings of the Bible, but about the one event on which everything else hinges the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Here's the thing. If Jesus is not resurrected from the grave, then all of the other words in that book, in that Bible, you can disregard them. But if he was raised from the grave, if he did get up on the third day, then that is the very word of God and we must listen and hear. But it all hinges on the resurrection. And Paul makes the assertion that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the central fact that assures the resurrection of everyone else. Here's the second answer to the question, why is Christ's resurrection so important? 
The second answer is this. It's hypothetical. He says, starting in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then Christianity itself is a total lie. That's what he says as he unpacks this in verses 14 through 19. It's hypothetical, but he says, look, y'all. I think Paul was from the South. Look, y'all. If, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then Christianity is a big, fat lie. There's two points to this lie. The first is this. He says that if Christ is not raised, then preachers are flat-out liars. Oh, my goodness. Pastor Tim, you're just such a liar, man. One liar to another, right? If Jesus isn't raised, then gospel preachers are liars. Look at verses 14 and 15. If Christ has not been raised, he says, our preaching is useless, so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. He couldn't be clearer about this. He says that if Jesus did not get out of the grave, then preachers, then I, Paul, as a preacher, I, Larry, as a preacher, we are false witnesses. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Paul is writing these words only about 23 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And just a few verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us that after Jesus was resurrected, there was a time when there were about 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus, that heard the voice of the resurrected Jesus, that were witnesses of his resurrected body. And he says, and most of those people are still alive. So what Paul is saying here is y'all don't have to take my word. There are hundreds of witnesses all around this place who will tell you, I saw Jesus after he got up from the grave. This charge, this hypothetical charge of being a lying preacher is a big charge. I know I, I hope I don't get that reputation anytime soon. Amen. But look, anyone who's watched a lot of Christian TV, I'm about to get in trouble now. Anybody who's listened to too much Christian radio over the years, you know that there's such a thing as lying preachers out there. Somebody ought to say amen. They're just I wish it wasn't true, but but it's true. And let me just say this. I know at New Life, we do believe in the ongoing uh, nature of spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about. And we thank God for all of his good gifts that he gives to his church. It's sad to say this, but a lot of what goes out as Christian prophecy is not actually true prophecy. In some places, and I've been in some places, to be honest, they need to change the word prophesy to prophesy. Amen. 
I wish that wasn't true, but it is. So Paul here makes the resurrection of Jesus Christ the litmus test for the truth claims that he makes. And here's the thing. Did Paul really believe in the resurrection of Christ? He says he saw him on the Damascus road, but did he really believe it? Did Peter really believe it or did they just write some nice letters and preach some good sermons? Did they really believe it? What about the rest of the apostles? Did they really believe it? Well, here's what we know from church history. They believed it enough to become martyrs, to die for their faith rather than deny the resurrection. About 10 years after Paul writes these words, he's in a Roman prison and he is beheaded because he refuses to denounce the resurrection of Christ. At about the same time, again in Rome, Peter is crucified upside down because he doesn't believe he's worthy to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. He wants to be crucified upside down. He does that because he will not, he refuses to deny the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And so all of the other original apostles, with the exception of John, are themselves martyred. They die for their faith rather than deny the resurrection of Jesus. It would have been so simple to get out of it. Just deny it and you're fine. Deny it and you're good. But they knew that they, they, they would rather have the eternal blessings of God than this little sliver of time on earth that they would have gained through denying the reality of Jesus' resurrection. If Christ had not been raised, Paul knew that the entire Christian ministry was based on a lie. But he was willing, and so were thousands of others who were put to death in the first three centuries of the church in order to secure their eternal reward. The truth is that even today, in different parts of the world, people are dying because they will not deny the reality of the person and the work and the resurrection of Jesus. I have a friend who is a missionary in Chad, the middle of Africa. And when I get her letters sometimes, it's like I'm reading the second book of Acts. As she talks about what God is doing among Muslim populations in that country in the middle of Africa. And people are willing to die rather than deny the resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, not only would preachers be liars, but every follower of Jesus would be a pathetic and deceived person if Jesus was not really raised. That's what he says. Look at verses 17 through 19. Scripture says it this way. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, in other words, those who died are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, 
then Christians, you need to hear this, are pathetic. They are lost. They are still in their sins. You are still in your sins. I am still in my sins if Jesus is not raised from the dead. You see, the resurrection of Jesus on the third day is the God-ordained proof that his death on the cross was accepted by God the Father as payment for the sins of this world. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because three days after he died on that cross, he got up from that grave. Paul says that apart from that reality, Christians are a pathetic bunch of people who should be pitied, he says, more than anyone else on earth. You want someone to pity? Pity these people who base their whole life around a narrative of a, of a man who died on the cross in shame in Palestine. Those are pitiable people if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Let, let, let me put it this way. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, Christians have an address. You can put it up on the board right now. Here's, here's your address. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it's 1008 Pathetic Place, Loserville, ER. Now, I didn't know what to put after Loserville. I was going to put USA, but this is bigger than this country. I was going to put PA, but it's bigger than Pennsylvania. So I just put ER. That's Earth Realm. Amen. But the good news is Jesus was raised from the dead. And we're going to get to that right now. Answer number three. The question again, why is Christ's resurrection so important? Answer number three is this. Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. Verses 20 through 22. Look, look at what Paul says beginning here in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, now in the paragraph before, He's using hypothetical language. He's saying things like, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, he's talking about hypotheticals. But in this verse and in these verses, now he's changed from hypothetical untrue assertions to things that are based on reality and truth. There's a Greek phrase that's used at the very beginning of this verse, verse, verse 20, and it's the same phrase that's used in 1 Corinthians 13 at the end of that chapter when it says, and now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That, that phrase, and now, is the same. It's translated but here in the NIV, but the idea of it is I want you now to focus on what is real and what is true. That's the idea of that phrase. Let me put that part of the verse in Philadelphia ease. Amen. So here it is. But check it out. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. No doubt. See what it's saying is this is the reality. All that hypothetical. If he wasn't raised from the dead, throw that out because he was raised from the dead. No doubt he's raised. The phrase indicates an established fact. It has 
happen. And because it happened, there are consequences that must follow. Paul writes that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does this language about first fruits means? Well, it comes from the Old Testament, the celebration of the harvest, the first fruits of the harvest. So at the beginning of uh, the harvest time, there would be a celebration of first fruits. They just gather a little bit of the harvest, just a small amount before the rest of the harvest was ready. And they would celebrate that little bit as if the whole ship had come in because they knew that that first fruits harvest was a guarantee of the abundance that was to come. And so Jesus Christ, when he gets up from the grave, he is the first fruits of all of those who fall asleep in him. Death cannot hold him down. Death cannot hold you down. If you know Jesus Christ, oh, this is good news, y'all. We have something to celebrate because he is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So as I close, let me just ask this question. Have you made a decision to trust your life? Now, hear me now. Hear me now, those of you who have been believers for a long time. Have you made a decision to trust your life, your entire life to the resurrected Christ? Let me make it even a little bit clearer than that. Those here and those at home as well. Does the way you live your life, think about this, does the way you live your life demonstrate that you are trusting Jesus Daily. If you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today to seek his face. I'm going to be up here and I have a couple other people up here with me after service today. We're going to have communion in a moment. Then we'll worship a little bit more and have a benediction. But after the benediction, if you're here today and you know that you've not given your life and heart to him and you want to know more about it, we'll be up here after service to talk with you. And if you're at home, there's a number that you can call. On the board there, there's also an email. We'd ask you to call or to send us an email and we want to know how we can connect with you to share more with you about this great good news of Jesus Christ God is good y'all death could not hold him down we have an indestructible savior And brothers and sisters, I hope you know this today. When you put your faith and your life in his hands, you are also indestructible. Death won't stop you. All the things that this world has that will 
push you down, that will knock you down. In Jesus Christ, you will get back up again. And at the end of everything, you are a victor in Christ. Let me pray as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father God, we're thankful and we're grateful today. Oh God, what kind of love is this? That God himself would become a human being. What kind of love is this that he would hang on that cross suspended between earth and heaven? What kind of love is this that though he could have called on 10,000 angels, it wasn't a cross, it wasn't nails that kept him up, but it was his love that kept him on that cross to the very end. But death could not hold him down. Hallelujah. Lord, we celebrate today that you got up on the third day and all power oh God is in your hands Lord glorify your name today and we'll give you all the praise bless our time as we remember your broken body your shed blood and we celebrate your resurrection power this day in Jesus name Amen